Good evening and welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Tonight we have bassist Tanya O'Callaghan. Tanya does a lot of other things, but we're going to start with her music playing first. How are you doing, Tanya? Very well, having my third coffee of the day, my one little wow. addition. <laughs> That's a lot of coffee. So, well, they're small, they're small in my defense. <laughs> you are originally from Ireland and now you're transplanted over to the States, but mm -hmm. you're usually on tour. You've been, you play all the time. Absolutely, I guess, a resident of the of planet Earth. <laughs> but yeah, originally from a small town in Ireland called Mullingar. And then, you know, I toured all over the world with a couple of different tours before I, I jumped ship and decided to move to the US because, you know, the saturation of the music industry in LA just seemed like a really good idea. So I've been in the States for about seven years now, and it's been it's been a trip. <laughs> You must get homesick, though, I can imagine. That's oh, be, uh... especially now, because I can't go home because of the current situation in the world, because I can't re-enter if I leave. So it's actually been really tough. So I've, you know, it's, I'm really grateful that I've been busier than ever during this whole crazy, you know, time we're going through in history, because it's keeping me sane. But yeah, homesick is, is a real thing. But, you know, we have to count our blessings. Luckily, we how can How are you kind of keeping busy, though? Because like, you were a big at touring, you know, speaking yeah. engagements, all, everything you did was moving. Yeah, true. So, um, well, touring started coming back a little bit over the past couple of months, but because I produce and run multiple other projects, so we have Highway to Health. So we actually spent, you know, we had just filmed season one of that show that I work on with Derek from Sepultura. So we edited for months and months immediately off the bat. And I also I'm doing a lot of the music for the shows I'm involved with. I started another documentary as well. And a lot of the speaking stuff and the health stuff just switched to online um and a lot of studio sessions so actually I was I, I was very ironic I was kind of the first month or so when this all hit I was at that stage really in need of some like time off the road because I don't think I'd been <laughs> off the road for like six years I was just on tour for like six straight years it was insane so I was really grateful for like the first month was relatively calm and then I kind of looked and went okay this is going to go on for a while. It's pretty obvious. So here's my strategy and just like, let's use this time. So it's been actually a really productive year and a half. So, um, you know, I'm involved in a lot of different projects for anyone that fo follows me. So it wasn't like once touring was taken away, I didn't work. It was just like everything else just kicked up to, you know, 10th gear. <laughs> well, you being a worker of, of so much, so much, you you know, you're always working with different bands. You're you've been, actually, you've been to like with seven bands at a time. You just you just don't stop. So you're always looking and following leads. So being diversified has probably always worked for you up till now with just building your foundation of who you are and your reputation as a player. You're a fantastic player. But to that point, that being so diversified probably also helped you or a lot of other musicians were kind of really in a weird spot when COVID hit because you were so used to moving like water. Just, oh, block, over here, you know? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned your highway, no, was it highway to health, sorry. Yeah, highway to health. Could you explain yeah. that more? Because yeah, this is a, people, I'm aware of what it is, but could you explain it probably much more? Yeah, so it, this is like my passion project, absolute like dream, dream project that started a couple of years ago, just an idea on paper that was actually going to be a documentary because, you know, I've been, long before I was a bass player, I was a very active activist in like the environmental space and animal rights and all that. And something I'm really passionate about and I speak about all the time is the power of the consumer across the board and everything we do, you know, we vote with our wallets every day. So I was kind of developing this concept that was going to be a documentary, but then 
Derek Green, the singer of Sepultura, who's a long-term friend as well, he is also a lifelong advocate and activist. And we were actually on a layover in Dublin together. Sepultura were playing in Dublin. And I was on a layover with Dee Snyder heading to Europe. And we were just catching up in Dublin and we were sharing each other's ideas. And it turned out that we had such a similar idea. He wanted to do kind of like this plant-based eco show that he would host. And I was doing it in like the same thing in a documentary. I'm like, dude, let's join forces. This would be way more powerful if we, you know, we just do it together. So that was born, that idea was born about two and a half, three years ago in Dublin. And my two best friends in Ireland are a production company. So we decided like, let's shoot a trailer. Let's get this concept down. And then it just like, I went nuts. And I went, cause I'm very involved in the plant-based business world and all that. So I went around to all the conferences and I kind of gathered the right contacts for it. And I was like, right, let's get season one underway. So we actually filmed an entire season just before COVID hit. So what we did was I looked at my tour schedule. I was with, I think I was finishing, I was maybe still with Dee Snyder at the end. And I was out with Steven Adler as well. And then we took Derek Sepultura touring schedule and we were like, okay, here are the gaps. Let's meet in Brazil. Let's meet in Mexico. Let's meet. And we went, we filmed seven or eight episodes all over the world. So it was pretty amazing. So it's like a plant-based rock and roll environmental show that's got a lot of cool guests on it, a lot of fun celebrity guests. It it looks good. I saw the preview. All the links will be under below. You can go to that page too and just check it out. It looks really good. So fun because it's my dream project. It's like music, activism, travel, food, the environment, everything in like one passion project. So we're really excited about that. I think having Derek in it's great because I don't usually see him in something like that. So seeing his personality and you guys work together well, at least in the clip I saw. So it looks like you guys have great synergy. Oh yeah, super fun. That really kind of helps the show move along too. And it looks like it shot well. Um, it's, yeah, it was it was a big, big undertaking. It's like the biggest project I've ever, you know, organized and it was insane. But years of tour managing came in handy. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I remember how to be a tour manager and organize all this stuff. <laughs> How's it going to come out? Is it going to be like on TV or a paid channel? Hopefully, or? hopefully. So we're, this is the part where like, you know, we have it up to a certain point with editing and then you you get your, an agent and it goes to market. So this is like more painstaking than the music industry. We're laughing about it every day. This is like the hurdle to get it there. So it's it's going to market. That's kind of like the phase it's in. So they, they shop it and then we're like all fingers and toes crossed we'll have an announcement in not too long like where it can be viewed but yeah we'll, we'll get it out there in the world one way or another because it's you know it's really really high end and it's got a lot of great guests and it's just super super fun the only shitty thing is just as the pandemic happened we actually had it we were in New York and we were going to shoot with uh Gojira and like John Joseph and have this amazing it's like the one thing we didn't get to capture but we'll get back <laughs> season two right you gotta start yeah. back into it well, that's the thing. How are you coordinating? So this is a good example. You, you, you have to coordinate this in the show, in his tour, but like you play, and you just said, you play with Dee Snyder. You've been playing with Dee for quite a while now, right? I played with Dee for two years, two and a half years, and I did one of right. his records. Yeah, I'm not currently with Dee. I'm a, right. you know, so, I'm but, a freelancer. But at one point, you were with him for, for a while, but you were doing oh, other yeah. gigs too. Yeah. How does that overlap with like scheduling and stuff without without being like, hey, hey, you know, Dee is a boss. Like, hey, boss, are we, yeah, I know we, we had this set off, but you just... They just added a date yeah. to that thing, but I have plans that date. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, sorry, I'm just turning my phone off because it's beeping. Um, it is sometimes like you're just crossing your fingers and toes because, well, usually I wouldn't like double book. Obviously you're being a super professional, but I've been really kind of lucky at the synchronicity of everything over the past five, six years. Like w- when I started with D, 
for instance, I was still touring with a pop R&B artist called Jordan Fisher. And it was weird how this stuff just aligned. Like I remember doing a show, we were playing a festival in Chicago with D, I think it was Riot Fest. And I came off stage, we were, I think we headlined that night. And so it was late, it was like, you know, 11, 12, came off stage with D, went to the airport, flew to London. The time zone goes forward, get off the flight in London, get on stage with Jordan Fisher. So it, it just yeah. ran like that. I would never unprofessionally like double book, but that just worked for a little while. But usually when you're kind of, you know, you're co- I was coming out of like Jordan was f- finishing up with that lineup and he was going to go do Broadway anyway. So it was like, OK, it's OK to take on another gig. And then, you know, I took on the D Snyder gig and that was two solid years of just D really. Um, and then right as D was kind of winding down and taking a break to do a different type of record, Stephen was going out and they needed someone to fill in. And, you know, and then that turned into two years of that. So it was, uh, you know, it was crazy. It's like you, I was local, I was on a podcast the other day with a bass player friend of mine who actually subs for me when I can't do stuff. And we were laughing because I've ended up where I was supposed to only fill in for one gig with artists and then stay with them for two years. <laughs> so yeah I think and a lot of it is a lot of it and I'm fiercely organized as well I have super OCD about organization so it's like you know I I will definitely be really pro with that and making sure that as well the other stuff I do I'll work it around touring so if I'm going to be in Europe and I have a few days off I'll also set up that I'm doing some like health thing or speaking thing or clinic or whatever I just can't stop I mean it's not that that's good or bad but (laughs) do you ever sleep I'll listen to you I mean I wish I'd slept more but yeah there is that thing as well of maybe I should just completely stop for like even a week and just see what happens <laughs> you take a break and just go out in the desert and just well I moved to quiet. the desert funny that well I'm a I'm a book hoarder I love reading um they're everywhere There's stacks of them everywhere in my house but funny I'm off, I actually moved to the desert mid-pandemic because I wanted out of that city city energy and everything was so politicized between people so I was like I'm gonna yeah. go to Joshua Tree so I moved out to the desert <laughs> wow very nice amazing it's it, it well it's amazing so with all this playing and time are you still like practicing how you're like you're playing and you're writing and you're recording but are you still practicing or playing for fun or creating you know what I'm saying that same energy before it becomes just a chore yeah no well that's the thing I talk about this all the time I'm very honest about this that is one of the things I find not not for every player but a lot of players definitely I've spoke to where when music becomes your job it does take some of the joy out of it Mm -hmm. um it's not that I don't obviously still I love performing like I love touring and performing um but it for the first half of it I barely played because I was so busy and then you know you guilt trip yourself you're like I gotta play but then I would get you know a call that I had to learn a set for studio in 48 hours and you so it's work again so there is there's definitely a push-pull mentally with keeping music joyful um when it becomes your your job and you know I I did a lot of sessions through it which were enjoyable because I was actually writing a lot of the music for the show but now I'm starting to get back to a place like I have a couple of studio sessions coming up that are very creative and it's fun and it's not like time pressure. And also because I work in other stuff and I don't have to put everything in music, like paying the bills and, and whatnot, although it is still my primary you know, job. I think that there's a lot to be said about taking the pressure off music sometimes. Um, that just happened naturally with all the other stuff that I do. So 
I think setting yourself up in life that you you don't have to like it gets really stressful if you're like oh my god if I don't take that gig and that gig and that gig and that gig well, I mean I that relates to a lot of people on. with like non-music jobs you know you go to school yeah. for something you like you know I want to be you know a doctor I want to be this or whatever once you start doing it every day yeah you're like no it's this. true like and I'm just by nature I am a serial entrepreneur I'm always like I'm doing this as this little girl like you're I'm always starting like businesses or, or helping or getting involved like a lemonade and, like, stand or something or, or oh I, yeah, yeah. we'll get, get a stand and then um... <laughs> yeah but for me as well my whole mission in life is tied to a cause so music serves as a platform for me as well it's not like I'm a bass player modest I like to be you know we're okay with being in the background we're not like the lead singer the guitarist syndrome yeah I know but you're not really a background bass player <laughs> I mean you I can really be <laughs> You might feel like you're in the background because you, know, you, you play with artists like Dee Snyder and stuff. Everyone's in the no, background. No, actually, I, I, ironically, though, it was Dee that pushed me to be more. For, I'll never forget it because as a session player, quite often you're expected to kind of be wallpaper, as you know, a lot will refer to it. So a right. lot of like when I was out with the river dance and, you know, different pop gigs in Europe before I moved to the U.S., you are actually hired to just be. Right. Yes, they might. They might be like, oh, your look is cool or whatever. But you're not there to, you have to understand you're being hired, you know, obviously for the music and to be part of this background aesthetic. When I got to D, D was like, try to outstage me. He wanted us to go nuts. So he really let me go back into performance fun because before that, there was a lot of gigs where they're like, this is your stage area. Don't move out of this. I always actually joke with Rudy Sarzo about that because he had to do that for a while in yes, Whitesnake. Just yeah. like, this is your square. square. <laughs> I'm like, how can you put Rudy Sarzo in a square? He's fucking Rudy Sarzo. So we always joke about that. But there was a lot of that. Um, and then Dee really let me go back into performance mode. So yeah, and shake off the cobwebs of being in the background. But, but yeah, performance is, is fun with the likes of Dee because you can really. And I'm a very like I'm a very physical player with, with hits and stabs and how, how I play. It's kind of like once I'm on stage, it's like where's the bass and where does she begin and end because I'm very physical with like when there's hits and stops and whatnot it's just how I play so I can't really stand there being all proper in the back well, that's what I'm saying I mean, you play for the artists, you play with the rockers I can see you you know that you, you play out there and watching some clips of you on YouTube and stuff it's hard to imagine you just sitting in the background playing I have, the music I, have and, been, and I know you can I'm just thinking it's, it feels like it's hard to digest that concept because you're too too much of a burning star to be just in the background while some people you know what I mean can blend real easy you know I, I mean, I could take my hair down and, you know, blend it down a bit. <laughs> I think you can be picked up easy in a, in a lineup. I don't know. <laughs> so it's great. So you, but you work with Dee and he's a strong personality. and He's also a great advocate for other people. Mm -hmm. um, so which is very empowering for you to help you push you to be your best person. And it fits okay. in alliance with which your, your, your mantra, what you kind of are in all your other jobs and social stuff. So having that support's got been great. And then you, with these, you play with Steven, so Steven Adler for a while. And then mm -hmm. another, another, another great guy from, you know, legend, you know, legend. great songs and, yeah. and a, a fun lineup. Um, he always has great yeah. musicians with him. Absolutely. And it's, you know, that's, that's the fun thing, you know, all these, I didn't grow up with, yeah, obviously I knew who like, I'd heard of Twisted Sister songs or I'd heard of Guns N' Roses, but we grew up with very different top 40 and different music in like right. rural small town Ireland. Yes, we kind of heard it, but that was the cooler thing about me ending up with playing with those kind of legends of that generation. It was like new music to me. So I was like, oh, it's great. <laughs> it's great music. It's the reason why it's still playing around. 
Yeah, so I wasn't sick of it at all. Like, and I didn't get sick of it. And it's fun. And then when you go out and you play, especially when you play, you know, with Dean, you're playing, we're not going to take it. Or I want to rock to like 60, 70, 80,000 people at a festival. And everyone's it's just a sea of people and energy. It's like, wow, this is, you know, this is just going to be priceless forever. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, playing with these guys and Steven's such a great guy and, you know, great songs, great story. And there's, you know, been so many amazing people through that band as well. And that's fun as well in the session world, because we all, you know, kind of know and respect each other. And there's lots of crossover there. If someone can't do the gig or, or whatnot, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice little circle. <laughs> How does it work for session plan though? Like is it, when you come in, are you given just, here's the music you're going to need to play? Or they kind of give you a little more freedom or does it kind of depend on the artist or? It depends on the artist. So like obviously with, you know, with Do and Steve in the last two years, that set is, you know, if you're playing, especially the GNR stuff on his original stuff, a little more freedom, but you can't, like you play Duff's lines, like Duff, right. or, you know, there's no air in that and they're amazing. And that was actually, you know, I didn't listen to GNR at all growing up. I knew who they were and my brother was big into them. It's just, I was only working with animals there was no music until I was 17 or 18 so I worked in a, I was actually training to be a vet's assistant so that's a whole other story but anyway so when I came to sit down and shed that set I had this instant appreciation for Duff's bass lines I was like wow these are not just like you know run-of-the-mill root note rock and roll bass lines these yeah. are like bass solos on every song <laughs> So it's was very like, interesting I was, songwriting though. It was really very incredible. Creative. That's why that's why it blew up. That's why it's like one of the biggest albums ever. I mean, it sticks out, right? And just to be unique and and to be authentic in in and that was a great generation for music. Like our industry is so different now. Yeah. It's you know sad, but you move with the times. But it's great, and it's great to see that it stood the test of time. The likes of, you know Twisted and 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 Stephen and GNR and all that stuff. It's really just it's powerful music. It is. I was saying the other day to somebody, you know, you, you, you see the rock bands are playing out from then. And no one's really feeling this can be a big grunge movement, like a big, you know, because, you know, like when you go out, you're like, oh, it's a 50s dance. There's always been like something of a generation, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I don't think it's going to be a big grunge resurgence. You know what I mean? The bigger ones that, that survived it, survived yeah. it, are still, we're still playing it. I mean, you had your Sound Gardens, your Alice in Chains. Oh, my Pearl, God. The Pearl best. You had the bigger ones, but they were almost, at the time, they were kind of like, you know, like a Sabbath type. You know what I'm saying? They were, they were, cutting their own swath but the smaller bands didn't leave enough of an impact i don't think right to right where, to where like a lot of these rock bands there's a lot of smaller rock bands that didn't become platinum but really had yeah. a strong fan base because they had a lot of albums not like yeah. one album or or a, or a radio tour or something they had touring and, and really five years absolutely. to deal right know. right yeah so was, more weight to that no absolutely how did you change from so you let's go back to this vet thing guys <laughs> You're like, wait, what? <laughs> it's so crazy, yeah. So, so we went from that and working with animals to working with rockers kind of is a good, easy change. I mean, there's like, oh, you know, <laughs> um, after spending the past 10 or 12 years on tour buses with, with a bunch of dudes, right. you know, there was a lot of skills I learned as a vet assistant. But <laughs> and I've toured with loads of wonderful, wonderful humans. But no, so that, that's the thing. Like when I was really like the, the long and short of my childhood story, because it is a long one, but I, as soon as I was able to kind of comprehend and, and speak and think, you know, freely for myself, I realized animals were in our food chain and I, I didn't want to eat meat. So I became this little rebel activist at like five 
and it was ridiculous and then at age eight when I was in school the teacher brought us on like a day trip to a a local animal rescue shelter and I loved it so much that I asked if I could come and volunteer and I stayed there till I was 18 so eight to 18 I was there every hour I could like all weekend I would just leave school in the evening and go there or just leave in the middle of the day and go there I was so obsessed like so obsessed and I learned so much from it and you know it's funny because it's completely unrelated to the music industry but just the hard work involved in working with so many animals and being involved in such highly emotional rescue cases and learning like you know they had me working in the office really young so I learned so many skills that made life on the road seem like a breeze really after I, doing re- I actually think everything's related and I always like to see where the dots are connected yeah and I think it's yeah. funny because you only the older and wiser you get you start to really look back and see all these like beautiful transitions in life and you know it's not that oh I stopped doing this and now I do this you know your your work ethic is built you know when you're young and I have great parents and I come from you know good good stock in Ireland and good Thai family and all that stuff but it's it's amazing and then I anyway when I was 17 I picked up a bass I went to a music course in my hometown I actually started as a drummer but that only lasted about two weeks because they didn't have a a acoustic kit they only had electric and this was way before like Roland brought out all the great stuff this was like the old cheap pad I remember playing being like I want to be a drummer and then I saw a local bass player who I knew playing bass the way I'd never heard it before so it was very like he was playing all this cool melodic stuff he was playing I, I believe it was like Primus and Jacko I was like what is that and I just remember being like wow I'm really intrigued by that instrument and I picked it up and the rest is history I became so obsessed um and I was self-taught I completely self-taught myself and I started playing in bands immediately um and then it's funny how it all transitioned because I didn't I didn't mean to become a professional bass <laughs> player but I just you know I got so involved in the industry and then I was doing house bands for tv shows and then I was getting hired to do pop tours and then Maynard Keenan asked me to be a guest on his record and then it was like America at all it's kind of a blur but it's insane but the whole time I was still like working in this activist world and the more my path grew in music and the bigger my platform came I was like well this is actually really cool there's like a mutual symbiosis between the whole thing it's like the more I'm out there the more I can you know speak for these causes so I feel a lot of musicians are for animals too though I mean it's you know the causes I think artists in general just like don't want to be bystanders and and, you know anything that's detrimental to human or, or you know we're all I believe people are inherently kind we're in a tough time in history but I always I'm like people are inherently kind there's more good people than there are bad people yeah, if you have a and if you have a platform big or small you should use it so I think that that's that's my purpose anyway and I think that that carries me through life and I don't you know let all of the the things that would usually stress the hell out of artists because I'm like I know why I'm doing this as an end goal so if you know your purpose you know it's it's more powerful than just like I want to be famous or I want to be in this band or I want to be in that band it's like that's not going to serve you but uh but yeah it's been a trip because it all kind of just happened by accident <laughs> you're so dedicated to what you do I don't think you do anything that's not professional I think like literally everything you do is going to end up being professional because you're you're putting the time in you know yeah, you have to don't don't do things half-assed in life. Right, it's, it's, it's do it whole-ass, right? Is that how that? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, there we go. We just made that one up. You could do it whole-ass. <laughs> no, that was actually from um, the TV show, uh, Parks and Recreation. That was a. Uh, oh, I love thing. that show. Had, I... Yeah, that was uh, what's his face. Yeah, so don't. Do no, I haven't watched that. And you just reminded me I need to watch that. I love that. <laughs> that was a good show. Yeah. Um, 
so let's talk about Rhapsody. Leadership Rhapsody, yes. Yes, let's talk about it, please, because this is a good <laughs> lead because you because you are you do seem to lead in everything you do. So Well, that's the funny it's again, it's this bizarre thing of a saying yes to new things and being open to like the unusual feedback. So that came about because I was teaching at a music camp in LA. I think this one is LA or Chicago. And there are these cool camps um, that happen where most of the demographic is like retired guys who wanted to be in band years ago, but they're like scientists and dentists and like corporate CEOs, really like unusual group of people. And, you know, they, they bring in professional musicians to be mentors, to get them ready to play with big names. So at this one particular camp, I was, um, you know, overseeing this group, getting them ready for, I think it was Nancy Wilson, or it could have been the Dave Mustaine camp. I can't remember. They were so random. And this student, he wasn't my student, but he was in another, um, he was in another group and he saw me play, you know, over the weekend and him and his wife approached me and were like, we just love your story. Like the fact that you, you know, come from small town Ireland and you're out here and it's kind of, we're just talking about the hustle and just juggling everything and whatnot. And, you know, something I don't see because it's just what I do. And they asked if I was interested in the speaking realm. I said, well, yeah, I'm actually really interested in it, but for activism. So like one of my big goals is to do a TED talk. And I speak all the time on panels for activism and whatnot and for animal rights and environmental stuff. But I'd never thought about like the speaking world kind of in a gig sense. So long and short of that is we kept in touch and they were like, you know, we're going to do this thing. And it's there's a conference coming up and we'd love to kind of join forces. Do you want to do it? So myself and Wayne started this thing called Leadership Rhapsody because we are from parallel universes. Like he's 40 years corporate, like by the book, like checks every Friday like frustration with teams that aren't performing whatever and I'm like you gotta hustle your ass off and you gotta you know move things around you figure it out there's no guarantees you gotta learn to live within your means you gotta be really smart with money whatever you gotta say yes you gotta put yourself out there so basically we do this like combined talk where I tell my story pretty much and then he tells his and it's it's like what business can learn from rock and roll because in the corporate world it's kind of in his opinion, people get too comfortable a lot of the time. Yeah. It's not that they don't want to perform, but it's very, exactly, it's very rigid. You know you're going to get paid on Friday or the end of the month or whatever. They have, you know, trying to get teams to be more productive together or whatever. So that's stuff that I wouldn't have noticed. But he's like, I see you with these players who've never met. There's like all these differences of opinions, political, musical, whatever. And you're somehow bringing them together. And at the end product, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what we do, you know. So it was really interesting because, you know, I could have just been like, no, I'm busy doing other stuff. But I decided I always follow my gut. My gut always has told me since I was four. (laughs) And I've never not followed my gut instinct and it's never never led me wrong. So that was really fun. And, you know, we only got to do a few of those before the pandemic hit. So hopefully that comes up again, because what it does is it puts me in areas and, and, you know, in rooms and conferences with people who are so different to me. It's hysterical. And I love that because I really believe that that's where growth is, um, you know, being around people who are, think very, very differently from you. So it's, it's actually been a really beautiful journey on that. And I hope we get back to it soon. But that, that was fun. So that's Leadership Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I was watching the clips of that. And it looks like it's really good. I don't know. I think there is such a parallel of, of that, that group of people and what you do. You know, and, and goals and stuff. And, 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 yeah. and jobs is hard when you have your peers and you do the same job every day. Yeah, you, you want to try something different. Someone else might try shooting you down. I get jealous because it's competition, and it's yeah, we're you know. we're complex. We're complex beings, humans. <laughs> I 
That's for exactly. sure. You think, but you you think outside the box, though. And you're always doing a side hustle where you're like, I got an extra hour here, you know. I didn't so, know there was a box. Exactly. <laughs> There's a box. <laughs> I should try and I should try and get in at one of these days. I think you, I think you I think you lost I think you got got lost. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. So, but you play with a lot of people. Are you doing your own stuff? I do, and it's what it's this. It's a joke between a lot of you know, hired session players because we're all working on an album that goes on for years because it's so hard when you're working for other people and to actually sit back and do it. I, I do have quite a stock of songs that are just not finished, but what I'm doing with them is putting them on the show and the documentary as well. And like one of the one of my songs I'm I'm putting together a super band for Sea Shepherd. So I'm doing a song that's gonna be for see I don't know if anyone's familiar with they probably know whale wars quicker than they'd know Sea Shepherd, but they're an ocean yeah. conservation group. So I'm like, well, how can my music serve a purpose as opposed to just putting it out? So I'm putting together a song with Alyssa from Arch Enemy, Alex Gulnick from Testament, Devin Townsend, myself, um, and there's a few others coming on board now. And, you know, that song will be a collaboration. I wrote the the basic, the, the music for it, and then I'm handing it over to people to add their their sprinkle of spice and then and then we'll cut a video for Sea Shepherd so I think my original music will end up being a lot of that because I want it to go back into the movement because yes it'd be great to just record and release an album but again like the activism thing is so strong in me that it's like well if my music can also be tied to a cause and I can hand it over to whatever different group so that'll probably start coming out in the next year where I have a few different songs out for movements for foundations and stuff with, with guests because all my friends are awesome players. <laughs> so it's you like, Hey buddy, you know, like, I know I don't want to ask you any favors, but. <laughs> well, do you do anything else that you play? Like you're like, Oh, I'm just going to play bass and write songs. Or you like, you're also a singer, play guitar. I don't play. I'm, I'm one of the only bass players who's never picked up a guitar. It's hilarious. I only have them here because this is the studio that I was a bass player from day one. My hands are so stretched out. That's like the resting pause that if I try to play a chord on guitar, it's pretty funny. They're like I'm terrible on guitar. Uh, I do sing backgrounds for bands and I definitely enjoy writing and hearing melodies and stuff, but pretty much bass. And then like how I would work with writing music with my friends that I write with, like predominantly I'll hear a lot of what I want them to play and I'll sing it to them on, on their instruments or, you know, collaborate on melodies and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, I am like to the core bass player, just a bass player. <laughs> and it's funny because, yeah, I don't think I've ever met anybody who just plays bass. Yeah, no, that's it. I'm like, it's funny because I was joking about this the other day with one of my friends, the way the music industry has gone for a lot of hired guns. And it's, some people do multiple instruments, but often as bass players, we'll get a call because, you know, budgets are changing within the music industry and they want people to like cover 10 things. So you'll get this call for like a big production where you think they'd have big budgets. They're like, hey, so you play bass, you play electric. Do you have, you know, a four, five and six strings? You play upright. Can you play synth keys and sing as well? I'm like, well, technically, yeah, but that's five different wages. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm always like, I literally play electric bass and that's what I do. So it's really funny how the industry has gone. And some of my friends who, who do play all of that, and it's awesome, and they kind of, they fit into that rotation. But I'm, I'm pretty old school to the core. I'm just, I'm just an electric bass player. Never said I was anything else, and that's what I'll always be. <laughs> Nothing wrong. You say you, say you write in songs. I was kind of curious if you was another hidden talent or something where you're like, yeah, I sing. And, no, yeah. all the songs, all the songs just start with great bass lines. And then we build from there. <laughs> Which actually... Roses. 
I was talking to um so I'm working a little bit with Holly Knight I don't know if you know who Holly is mm -hmm. she wrote yeah. Love is a Battlefield and you know yeah. Simply the Best and all that so we were joking because I you know Love is a Battlefield is such a powerful iconic song and she was telling me in studio the last day I was over she writes around bass lines I was like see <laughs> she just write around bass lines so so yeah, it's uh, it's fun hearing that from such a legendary songwriter. Like you wrote around the baseline, like cool. I'm gonna keep doing that. So <laughs> that's really good. I don't know. You may be a singer though. You seem to be good at everything else. You seem to be doing. You know, I can sing, but I'm not uh, saying I have so many professional singing friends that I would never insult them by saying I'm a singer. I was a singer in the church choir though. <laughs> the only time you got me to church was to sing. To sing. <laughs> I don't even understand how at how eight years old you could just leave school and, and go work at a uh, at a vet. Like there's no like labor laws, there's no, no rules. <laughs> well, no, no, I was working. I would... <laughs> well, even volunteering is like, it, you, you can't do anything like that nowadays. You know what I mean? That's true. You know, it's true. I never thought about that. Yeah, it is. Because, you know, they want, uh, and I wasn't doing like veterinary assisting until I was older, obviously. But from eight to 12, 13, what you're doing is you're just helping with daily I'm chores. I'm sure it was a caring environment. I'm just saying like, you know, especially being in the States, <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, like, no, you, see, never... you can't even get a job without having, you know, five different forms of ID. you would be like 18. You know what I mean? That's so to true. volunteer that's with very, insurance, very you true. can't get near anything. Yeah, no, it's true. I probably wouldn't be able to do it now. Maybe in Ireland. I don't know. But you're right. It's become so like, it's just, yeah, it's weird. Actually, there's a lot of boundaries for, you know, it's just, it's, it was a healthy thing when I look back, like, you know, when you're begging your parents, can I go and help at the rescue shelter instead of like getting in trouble somewhere? Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a good thing. Great. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and then, nowadays. yeah, you were, you're right, though. It would be probably a lot harder. There's a lot more red tape and politics involved, right? God damn it. <laughs> the kid just wants to help with animals. <laughs> I know what you got in under the thing and you, you learned so many life skills that set you up. That you probably learned as much as anyone would learn in college, you know? I think so. The, 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 animals, the college of hard, the school of hard knocks. Is that what they say? <laughs> yeah, it was, and empathy. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like, I mean, that was just very, I mean, the minute I went, I'll never forget the day I went out there. I was like, that's it. I'm coming back here tomorrow. If they'll have me or not. I'm coming back. And like, I mean, it wasn't hey. glamorous. You're literally cleaning up after, like we had minimum of 40 dogs at a time. We had a paddock that had like sheep, goats, chickens, rescues of whatever, an aviary of sick birds. Like it was hard work. And my dad would drop me out there and you would literally be like cleaning, you know, caring and feeding ill animals, like cleaning. Now it sounds like child paddock. labor. Like, <laughs> it was actually in hindsight, it was child labor, no, but I was so <laughs> happy. I was so You're happy. Like I was surrounded by animals. And that was like, uh, okay, this, these that are That is one step away from cleaning <laughs> chimneys because you're little and you can fit in it. That is, that is... There you go. We've just discovered that I was actually in child labor child for labor. 10 years. <laughs> Headlines. That is funny. But, yeah. You know, so... Well, and on a, on a high and an animal note, so you obviously love animals. Do you have pets because you tour? Can you have pets? Okay. No, no, I don't because of that lifestyle. Um, I definitely have done a lot of like adoptions and fosters over the years, but I, I choose to not have animals because I can't be a proper pet mom. I will eventually, you know, when I pick one solid place to be like if I if I have more solid base in the next few years I'll probably end up with like random things I want like a pig and a turkey and you know something completely like god knows what will end up but I wouldn't do it to the animal because I travel so much and that shows that you really do love animals I agree there's a lot of animals that I don't like seeing I would take because I love the animal but they don't belong you know yeah. I don't believe animals belong in certain no. small areas they need to be out you know, I'm not gonna go I, I believe in a lot of those things. I, to me, a lot of zoos feel like animal prisons and 
aquariums just feel like you oh know, I hate it's, them. It's 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 it's, 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 it's soul crushing to see animals just trapped. It's not a performance. It's just sad. You know, I didn't get it when I was little no. until you yeah. look at it when you no. get older. And you're like, oh, this is awful. Yeah, it's so true. And like for me, I'm all, it's like having a child. It's a big decision. Like granted, you know, having cats, for instance, is easier if you're gone for like two or three days, or if you're gone on tour and someone can come check because cats are so much more independent. But like and they're also dogs, they're, yeah, I love it. That's why I love cats. I have it's my so cat. I love my cat. Allergic to my cat's just to the lap. Walk up, look at me, and just go. That's an off the counter. Just walk away for no reason. They're such characters. They're oh. such characters. It's amazing. But yeah, it's so true. Like with dogs, I would never have one until I knew I am either going to be off the road enough, or you know, my partner, or friends, or whoever live nearby that can check on it. But it's to me, it's the same as having a child. It's like no joke. It's a living being that needs your care and attention. So I actually don't have pets for that reason. But I, you know, I, I work for animals endlessly. But and then I kind of vicariously have pets through my friends. So I go visit like my, my friend's dogs and I'm like, I'm Auntie Tanya's here. <laughs> it is funny. So, so you having that. So but you're not having pets. So yeah, the poor irony that. I know. I know. But it's better for them. <laughs> No, it is. It is. Anything coming up? Anything else you want to promote? We'll your links. We've talked about just so much you've done. I mean, all the exactly like the best place really to follow me is I'm only really active on Instagram um, for business on LinkedIn. But for for the socials, I try to like hone it down to one because I don't like so being many. on my phone all day so long. Many. So many. And I just feel like it's better to have an authentic, engaged audience in one place and be like spreading yourself thin. So, yeah, anything that's coming up will be there. I mean, at the moment, the biggest push is Highway to Health and this new documentary I'm working on, which is going to be really interesting, but I can't really talk about it yet. So that's not use pushing until I'm on Instagram. But music-wise, um, some recording, some really interesting recording sessions coming up that I will post about soon. Okay. And other than that, I'm like, it's so many things that I'm like, um, <laughs> I can't think. But yeah, my, you know, all my links that you have are there. I have my own website, sustanyocallahan.com. I have leadership rhapsody, highway to health show.com. And my Instagram is just what is it? At Tanya Callahan underscore official. So oh, all and any and all shenanigans that are happening will be there. <laughs> and anything that I see at yours, I'll probably repost it too as it goes on to keep promoting you. And hopefully you'll come back again at a later date and talk Absolutely. some more. I'm looking forward to seeing these shows come out though. Especially the highway health. It's so awesome. Yeah, yeah it's going to be really fun. It looks awesome. I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was a very My nice pleasure. chat. Thanks for like talking about all the things. <laughs>